This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. 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 Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. There are unstoppable forces in this world, and right now the Mariners are one of them, certainly as they continue to play teams like the A's. That will help, but... You know what they just do, Brock? Let J.P. Crawford hit leadoff home runs to start the game and then just kind of stick it on cruise control and go from there. How about that? Once again, last night, Mariners pummeling the A's. They win 7 nothing. J.P. Crawford just doing his thing to start the game. And then Julio obviously going yard later. I was out uh, yesterday. was Avery's first day of uh, sixth grade. So mm. I'm now the father of a middle school child, which, mm. you know, shows how old I am. But mm. um, when we first started doing this show, I had no kids. And now Correct. I have a middle school child. So yeah. that's... That's wrong. Well, don't feel old because I've got a junior and freshman in college. Yeah, but didn't yeah. you start having kids when you were in college? Like, it's a little uh, different based on when you started having kids. Yeah, that's true. You were like, oh, I'm a senior in college. I should probably start having kids. Let's probably get married first. I mean, let's get, let's get married. Populate and then we'll the, the world at uh-huh. the age yeah. of 23 or whatever you were. <laughs> but um, I got home last night and turned on the Fubo, right? And as I'm waiting for it to load, for anybody who's Fubo, you know what I mean? The sound comes on before the picture. Because it'll, because it, it's what you were watching earlier, so it'll be like it'll show the like a like a, a still screen picture of the game and say like, is this what you want to watch? And you have to like click another button in order to get there. So all I can hear is the sound, and the first thing I hear is, oh boy! Literally, the first before I even see the picture, I can't tell what's happening. Like I can't see the field. All I hear is. Oh, boy. And I'm like, oh, oh Julio's gone yard again. <laughs> and sure enough, the yes. picture clicks on, and he's just rounding second base on his way to go give Manny a high five and go grab the trident yesterday. But, oh, boy. And I knew it as soon as I heard yep. it. Yep. Good news here. Yeah, I sent a little tweet out last night. I don't know, about 6th, 7th inning or so. I think not long after that moment with Julio. And, you know, Ryan Rowan Smith and Angie and Dan Wilson and the crew did a marvelous job filling in. Right. I mean, it was almost like an injury on a baseball team and you've got to have other people step up and, and all of those filled in with all the moving pieces in their broadcast this season. But there is just something to having Mike Blowers mm-hmm. back in there, mm-hmm. back in there, back healthy, uh, back in there regularly at home and just, just the rhythm with which he calls a game that I think we've all become so comfortable with over the last, what has it been? A decade and a half? I mean, as long as we've been doing this, I believe he's been the full-time color guy. And he just, yeah, there's a sensibility. There's a, there's a Northwest. He's a span away guy. So it's, he's not going to be <laughs> like yours truly that sometimes is a little convoluted and long winded. He's to the point. It's oh boy. And you know, something's coming. So it's wonderful to also have blowback right as this thing has just been humming here over the last two months. Well, it is definitely humming, Brock. I was saying earlier that they've now won 20 of their last 24. Okay, which in and of itself is insane, but they've won. They had an eight game win streak, another eight game win streak, and now a four game win streak. Mm -hmm. So they've won 20 of their last 24 games. The four games that they've lost in there all came in the final inning. It was the comeback loss to the uh, to the White Sox last week where they blew it in the ninth. Mm-hmm. the weird, crazy game where they came back and were about to beat the Royals and then blew it again late in the game. Yep. And then and the two to Baltimore, the two, yeah, the 10th yep. inning loss to Baltimore and the uh, George Kirby loss to Baltimore when he went nine shutout innings. 
those are the last. If, if not for those, they'd have won four, 24 in a row. It's just amazing. What? <laughs> I mean, like, this is a run that you don't normally They've never been see, on. right? Yeah, they tied their franchise record in wins for any month of any season, 20 and 5 right now. I have a chance with Oakland tonight and Oakland tomorrow to surpass that and do something that no Mariner team in the history of the almost 50-year mm. franchise has been able to do, and that's when 21 or 22 games in a month. So i got about 100 different Mariner questions and angles for you over the course of the day, and uh, our friend Jeff Passon is going to join us at 8.30 this morning. Uh, going to talk through the schedule, kind of where they've been. We'll do that at 7.30, about 25 minutes from now. I know Julio's getting the lion's share of the conversation today, and certainly from a national perspective, he is the story. There's no doubt about it. Three home runs in three games here, and just, what is it, 22 hits in the last 10? games i mean like dude's insane four more hits leads the american league in hits right now which yes. you know throw which is just astounding to think of where he started considering he yes. didn't have a good three months he's leading I think he's the american third league in war in the american league Jesus. i think i think he's third overall in war now yeah. in the american league pretty yeah. it's he's, pretty he's, remarkable what what the man has done and last night such a great example of everything he can do because you get the home run you get the double you get a a normal infield hit that was sort of a nubber, but then you get the other infield hit where he just straight out beat a ground ball. Yep. I'm just I'm like, gonna read you guys this text from what? the 206. If Julio held my hands and looked deeply into my eyes, smiled, oh and told me oh they're not hot, I'd believe him. <laughs> <laughs> if Julio held your hands and looked deep into your eyes, you'd believe anything he has to say. Yeah. Trust me. You wouldn't even hear what comes out of his mouth. Right. You would just be, yes. Nod your head. You'd just be a puddle. You'd be a total puddle of goo. There'd just be a pounding in your ears as you heard your heart beating so loudly. That was the only... Anyway, uh, I'm going to talk about somebody else for a moment. Because the Julio thing is astounding, and the national folks seem to be kind of taking care of it. The guy that they're not talking about nearly enough, and I think even we've been guilty of it as well, Brock is J.P. Crawford. What an unbelievable season J.P. Crawford is having. He's been phenomenal. He has been, you mentioned war. Baseball reference war, B-war for Julio, or for J.P. right now is 3.8. He's been a 3.8, nearly a four-win player over the course of this season. That does not count his leadership. That does not count the fact that he has been the heartbeat of this team. He has been a nearly four-win player just on the field, and he keeps leading these games off with home runs. He plays steady defense. His manager loves him. JP, I know um, you know a lot said over the last few years, whatever, and, and we've always believed in JP Crawford inside this building, maybe more so than outside the building. And I certainly uh, lead the pack in believing and in, in appreciating what he brings every day. And it may not always show up on the stat sheet. It's still showing up on the stat sheet this year. But even if it doesn't, it's it's the attitude he brings, kind of the edge he brings to our team. And you see it. You know, he plays with some emotion. Uh, he's not afraid to show that emotion, you know, when he's scoring a big run or getting a big hit. But what he does inside the clubhouse, um, I get a chance to see it every day, whether it's it's, it's playing the music, it's getting on Gino, it's kind of just stirring it up the way it needs to be stirred up. And he's a championship-type player. He really is. I like that one of the things he has to do is get on Gino. Like, hey, if you want to have success here in this league, you got to get on Gino Suarez. Like, you got to rip that guy up and down. So, Scott loves all the things he does without the stats, but this year he's brought the stats. 
I mean, he, he's been at times, and for most of the season, certainly their most consistent hitter and arguably their best hitter, although obviously Julio has gone insane here in the last month. What an unbelievable season for a guy that when the Mariners signed him to a long-term contract, there were some question marks there, and a lot of people weren't entirely sure they should have done it. And then most folks spent the next two years lamenting the fact that he was at shortstop, and that was preventing them from going out to get better players. It's pretty remarkable. I also wonder, yep. Brock, because I know there's going to be somebody who says, well, we didn't want him gone. We just wanted him at second base. Fair. Mm-hmm. Do you think he would have done all this and would have been the same player and leader, et cetera, if they had gone out and gotten one of the shortstops and moved him to second base? I don't know the answer. To it. There, there's no yeah, there's no right or wrong answer. Know. Yep. Nobody what do you think? But, uh, yeah, I think so. I think some of this is the work that he put in this offseason, obviously. Uh, and all of the commitment to driveline to improve himself, to just not be satisfied with the status quo that I got paid, that I'll make my money, and that he needed to he needed to revamp some of his game and some of his power. Twelve home runs, more than Ty France right now, a, a career high by a long ways. And based on market value, if Dansby Swanson and and Bogarts and and Correa and the rest of them are thirty thirty five million dollar guys, mm-hmm. you know what he is this year? Uh, all of that and more, all of that and more. And and so yeah, I think he'd have a little edge. I, I think yeah, he some of those guys have work. performed similarly. Certainly, Dansby Swanson's had a great year in the Mets and the uh, Cubs. Rather, playing really well. But just looking at some of those other names, Trey Turner's a two-win player. Correa this year, one point two. Bogarts, two point six. And again, yeah. JP for reference, three point eight. What's interesting to me is if you just look at Cabby and Rojas, forgetting about even all the time they messed around with Colton Wong, the combination of just Cabby and Rojas, one of those guys only been here for a month. Or a three-win player. Mm-hmm. It's really remarkable what the Mariners have done bringing those guys in and what JP has done as the leader. So congratulations to, to everybody who's been a part of that, certainly starting with JP. And you're right, the extra work he did this offseason to get himself into the position he's in. What an unbelievable season he's having. Mm. We'll keep this rolling. Mariners win yesterday. Huge moment coming at 1 o'clock for hundreds, if not thousands, of people around the NFL. It's all in need to know next. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Yeah, it's getting boring watching this Mariner team. All they do is win. They're not even exciting when they do it. They just go out, score seven runs, dominate the opponent. They dominate the foe, Brock, like the uh, Carolina Panthers and Ken Woodley. Yesterday, it was a 7 nothing thumping of the A's and Julio Rodriguez in the middle of it all. Here's the set and the 1-1 on the way to Julio. swinging a drive deep into center field. Butler going back, looking up. Goodbye baseball. Into the pen. Julio Rodriguez with his 24th home run of the season. Three RBIs on the night. It's now the Mariners six and the A's nothing. What a month. What a year. What a young career for Julio Rodriguez. It's all true and well said from Rick Riz. The man's on fire. Hit a double earlier and then had two infield singles later in the game. So four more hits for Julio last night. He has just been amazing, Brock. And you know what? They got great pitching. Got to give credit to Brian Wu. That lineup on the other side stinks, but he did exactly what you're supposed to do. Pump balls into the strike zone. He went six uh, scoreless innings despite only throwing 69 pitches. That is uh, a nice night to give Brash and Munoz and Topa the night off. Yeah, nice night. Let's give him a a nice three, four, five days off here. Let's continue this with Oakland and continue to kind of use those other non-leverage guys out of the bullpen. So 
the month of September, those horses, man, are ready to roll. I, I will tell you, as impressive as anything with Julio last night, yeah, the double 112 miles an hour, I think second hardest double that he's hit. Yeah, the home run was awesome. But beating out that infield single, getting himself to second base, and then scoring on a single. I mean, just all, all facets of the game. Just a, a superstar willing to play every pitch of every inning of every game. Just awesome. Yeah, he really is tremendous. And then afterwards, they asked him about all the hits he's had this month. And he's like, eh, Ichiro had like 50 in a week. So whatever. <laughs> like, I'm just chilling. I got a ways to go. Pretty, pretty impressive. Unfortunately, the only bad news last night, everybody else won. Astros blow out Boston. Altuve hit for the cycle. Texas came back late to beat the Mets. Ninth inning. Super Come on, frustrating. Mets. Come on. God or Odd or whatever your name was. And then Toronto all over Washington, so they win pretty easily. So Mariners uh, stay a game up on everybody. They will uh, turn to George Kirby tonight against Ken Waldachuk and the A's. Here's the second thing you need to know. Cut day today. Unfortunately, sad one across the NFL. Hundreds of players, I think it's about 1,200 players, will be released from all 32 teams before the 1 o'clock deadline. The Seahawks generally release their cuts at like 1.30, so uh, don't start even looking until about then. Uh, they did start early. Five more names yesterday. No big ones, although I was a little intrigued by Tajon Lindsay, the little wide receiver who was running back kicks. Uh, maybe he'll be a practice squad guy. We'll wait and find out. They'll make 25 more cuts today. Talked to Brady Henderson about this yesterday, and one of the interesting questions was Devin Bush, just because there aren't that many veterans that you could see being released from this team, but he was playing late into the preseason game and on special teams. Brady says don't read too much into it. I wouldn't be too concerned. No, I mean, that that is typically you do look for veteran guys when they're playing, you know, with the third string late in the game. That does kind of make you wonder sometimes, but I don't think there's any doubt about him making the roster because I think that they're going to need him early on. I mean, Jordan Brooks is going to be ready by the start of the season. Pete Carroll all but guaranteed that um, on Saturday. But you're not going to throw Jordan Brooks out there for 60 snaps a game. No, and I think when you give somebody $2.9 million guaranteed dollars in the spring, as they did Devin on his one-year deal, very unlikely they just eat that. And with Jamal Adams still coming back, Jordan still coming back, you're going to need a veteran. That's why they signed him. They wanted some of that experience and some of that depth. Mm. But I think also playing with the third stringers in the third preseason game into the fourth quarter tells you that he's a placeholder for Jordan and Jamal when those guys come back. Ian Rappaport, pretty good update yesterday on Jackson Smith and Jigba, says he's expected to begin the season on the active roster. So no IR. Don't know if he'll be ready for week one, but obviously a good sign for his return. Here's the third thing you need to know. What the heck is going on in Arizona? Seriously. Like, I like to make fun of the Cardinals, and I've made fun of them for being a terrible organization for a long time. But they released Colt McCoy yesterday so that they can go with Josh Dobbs, who they traded for literally a week ago, and rookie Clayton Toon, who I've quite frankly never heard of. Those are their options for week one. And then their head coach, who seems like a nutball, Jonathan Gannon, says he's not going to name a starter because he doesn't want to give away a competitive advantage. Mm. How much would you like to be Washington right now walking into that first game? Yeah, I will say, though, like back in the day, I don't know, 5, 10, 12 years ago when we started this, and, and I think you had a, 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 I don't know, maybe a little more baseball mindset to the game of football at times. I mean, you just brought a lot of that background, and this is just tanking. I mean, this is just busting it all down, breaking it all down so that you can have the best shot possible 
at and one of these wasting another first overall pick at one of these top quarterbacks next year, and two of them seem pretty darn special right now, yeah. including the Heisman Trophy winner. Out I of get USC. that, but they're going to bring Kyler Murray back at some point, right? I mean, like maybe. it's one thing. Yeah, I guess maybe they don't. Um, all the old Seahawk killers are getting released, though. So Colt McCoy's out there. John Wolford is out there. The Bucks let him go yesterday. We'll see if Nick Mullins gets released today. <laughs> if so, the Seahawks need to scoop up all those guys and keep them away from any other teams they'll be playing this year. That's everything you need to know. We do a quarter past every hour here on the that Brock and Salk Show. That reminded me of when you had us play. Remember Jonathan Gannon meeting the players? Oh, my God. Oh it was so weird. Ready? Yeah, More uncomfortable. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Oh, Good. Good. Shots. Explosives. Explosives. You can run. Hey, Calvin. How you doing, man? Good to meet you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. Good player. Good player. I know it. I know it. Yeah. How you doing, bro? Good to see you. You know what he sounds like? It sounds like Joey Molinaro doing an impression of somebody, yes. doesn't yes. it? Like, it That's sounds like call. Joey doing one of his things where it's like, you know, dudes at a bachelor party. And it's like every guy before a wedding. Quick cuts to all these dudes. That's sort of what it sounds like. Finger guns. Shout out to Joey, who's pretty funny and does a great job on Twitter. Brock, he was kind of kind of yep. crushing your uh, color commentators this uh, this last week. I sent yeah. that to you. But uh, yeah, I mean, you guys deserve it. Hey, Justin, more uncomfortable. Jonathan Gannon or uh, Matthew Stafford's wife on Ooh. Oh I got God. some of that sound. Ooh, I did not Gosh. enjoy that. Do you guys want to like hear that? Different. So Gannon's just awkward. This Stafford's is... wife's just annoying. I'm Ooh. sorry. I tried to listen to that podcast to find the sound I wanted, and it is. It's, it's the third tough. time I've jumped into that podcast. And they have something. a lot of rookies on their team this year. They're very young, so this will be a very interesting season. But he's like, I feel like I can't connect mm. because in the old days, you would come out of. Come out of practice. You'd shower. This is during training camp. Right. Shower. Obviously, people would be playing cards. Yeah, you know, I can't people even keep playing that because later, who knows? Are we doing by yourself? You know, but they're later. they're is doing something together. Yeah. They're yeah. at least talking. I think I need to add one to buy yourself. during training camp. Stop talking. And they go straight to the. <laughs> Please stop talking. I, that was after she spent about like half an hour talking about how Stafford didn't get any credit for the Super Bowl he won. Mm. Gosh. We're going to play Kelly Stafford, and I'm going to play you Michael Irvin from yesterday, and you're going to have to choose one. <laughs> which one you can sit through longer? Yes. Which would you rather listen to for a straight hour? Clockwork oh. Orange Which style. of the <laughs> Exactly. Oh. We're going to oh. peel open your ears so that you can't close them, and you're going to have to choose one or the other. We'll do that coming up a little bit later in the show, maybe at 9 o'clock, after we have some fun with Jeff Passan at 8.30. Up next, the detractors, Brock, are out there when it comes to the Mariners. Are they right? It's next on Brock and Salk. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. The Mariners are winning. In fact, they've won 20 of their last 24 games. Is it sustainable? Is this something that should continue? Is that a reasonable expectation? Well, this pace, probably not. I mean, that would uh, has never really happened before, winning a 20 out of 24 for an entire season. But can they continue to win at a rate that will keep them in first place and ultimately allow them to win this division? That's a bigger question mark. And certainly there have been some detractors out there pointing out that this run has come against lousy teams. There's some truth to it. I looked at their last 18, and it includes wins over Kansas City, San Diego, Chicago, the White Sox, and the Angels. Four lousy teams have accounted for 14 of their last 18 wins. 
there've been a couple in there against Baltimore and certainly the sweep against the Astros and a couple in there against Boston, but and Toronto. But yes, 14 of their last 18 wins during this incredible run have come against the Royals, Padres, White Sox and Angels, four really lousy teams. So you can't argue against fact, right? I mean, like, obviously, some of this has been padded by by bad teams. The better question, though, is the style of play they're playing. What's sustainable and what isn't in terms of style? Because I look, the, the, the record will change partially just because it's baseball and things go up and they go down. And that's the nature of the sport. And also because in the course of the next few weeks, after you're done with the Mets, you're going to play the Reds and the Rays and the Dodgers and the Astros again and the Rangers. Like there's some much tougher competition ahead. So how sustainable, Brock, is the style of play that they're playing? That's the question I'm asking. Nailed it yesterday when we asked him to kind of handicap this race, and he leaned into down the stretch and into the playoffs, pitching and defense. Pitching and defense. What is not sustainable is the rate at which they have been hitting, the way that they have been mashing. And when you kind of rattle off those teams, Salk, what comes to mind, gosh, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah that likes to say this, that every time that he's done with a scouting season, right, he gets away, he flushes it, and then he goes back and he watches the pros. And he watches the the great guys at the pro level to kind of reset his baseline. Like, okay, this is what it's supposed to look like. And then he goes back into scouting the next group. And for us as fans, and you know, just as a as we've all gotten into to baseball and the way this team's built, you see what tremendous pitching looks like. Mm-hmm. And that's why the last eighteen games, <laughs> when you're not facing. Elite pitching, it really stands out. Yeah, you can see the difference. Holy smokes. I I kind of have a list of four or five things that I think are sustainable, and then a few things that are not. I'm with you. Scoring like this, not sustainable. You're going to face much better pitching in the month of September. You are feasting on bad pitching, which is what you're supposed to do. The Royals' bullpen is absolutely atrocious. This Oakland staff, Billy Beans, no longer putting together a few different arms here or there. The White Sox cannot pitch. I mean, you you have just feasted. Same problem with the Angels. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that, and that won't last. Now, the one thing I will say is early this year, it didn't matter who you were facing. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter if you were facing the dregs. You were still only putting up two runs a game. Correct. So I think there is something to be said for the fact that you are also hitting better yes. in addition to the fact that you are hitting against worse pitching. You're passing the baton and you're not giving up on any of bats. Well, so that part I think is is absolutely you know sustainable. If I were to go through the four or five biggest things I think they can sustain, one, the pitching. I love what you wrote or what you tweeted out yesterday, Brock. I think that was tremendous. Just looking at the whip leaders, that's walks and hits per innings pitched, which is a pretty good indicator. It's not, it doesn't take everything out of it. It's not as good as, you know, some of the real advanced ones, XFIP and some of that stuff. But in terms of just things that an everyday baseball fan can understand, it's a little bit to me more telling than ERA. It's just telling you how many walks and hits you give up, how many runners you put on base. That's right. I mean, it is the it is the poster child for control the zone as a pitcher. Yes, it is strike one, and you don't walk people. And when you see these teams and you see these guys struggle with their command, and there's a walk, and there's a walk, and here's all this traffic and all the pressure that it then puts on that opposing team. And when you don't do it, and right now Logan Kirby and Castillo are three of the top five in all of baseball. And what did I see if uh, if if Miller or Kirby or uh, uh, Wu qualified? They'd be right there also. 
It's insane. It's pretty unbelievable. Just like day after day, they come at you with just incredibly different arm angles, et cetera. That was one of the, the other things that Verducci was mentioning yesterday. The Mariners, of all the contending teams, they throw more fastballs than any other staff. And it's fastballs that are not just, you know, here it is, hit it, but so well placed and generally at the top of the zone. They, so they love guys who have extreme arm angles. I'm talking about mostly below the average release height. So that ball is coming from a lower release angle to the top of the strike zone. They call that vertical attack angle. And, you know, probably no one has a greater vertical attack angle than Brian Wu. But across the board, even their bullpen, they have guys who can run that ball up the top of the strike zone from a low release angle. And that plays in today's game. So, by the way, he mentioned that yesterday, that no one has a better vertical attack angle than Brian Wu. And it just sort of stuck in my head over the course of the day. So I was watching last night. Did you did you find yourself trying to figure out where his attack angle was? Where his no, arm angle was? I was thinking about at? the vertical switch release. Okay. You know, I was thinking about a lot of other terminology. We'll, we'll get to them later. <laughs> I found myself trying to figure out where Brian Wu throws from. I'm still not sure. Like I watched the game, it's like I can't find the ball when he's throwing. No wonder nobody can hit the guy, especially as a righty. Like yeah. the ball totally disappears. His arm angle is so and his arm action is so fast, and then it's just like on them. Mike, it's a vertical attack angle. Thank I don't you. know why it's so hard. <laughs> That's what no I either. Thank you. That. Buster will be on tomorrow at this time to uh, to, uh-huh. to school me and things it's the like that. All right. I can't wait. Passing. Why do we got to wait for Buster? I mean, passing. That's true. Well, He's we'll have words. Fifty minutes. We'll have some words for passing here at okay. eight thirty. So the pitching plays that sustainable, right? We can agree. Yes. I think working counts as sustainable. That, to me, has been the biggest difference for me offensively. They've just been better at swinging at strikes and getting on base and letting bad pitches go and getting the good pitchers they have faced during this stretch out of the game early. You're right, Brock. They're going to face better pitching. But don't you think that the count working and quality of at bat can stay where it's at? Well, give me cut number seven here, one of my favorite number on earth right right now and forever, and that's Scott Service talking about just that, that approach in the box. We don't give away at bats up and down the lineup. You see guys making adjustments throughout the course of the game, and it's paying off. Um, there's like I said, I think from a, from a coaching, managing perspective, it's kind of what you hope for. You know, guys show up ready to play every day. We're ready to go from the first pitch of the game. We're out there competing through the entire game. And, you know, when we take the field for the ninth inning looking for three more outs, it's a, it's a common battle cry. Let's win the ball game. Let's just win the ball game. And that really is the focus right now. Just win the ball game, whatever it takes. I think the poster child for that is Tao. And and I loved it last night because I've been in this spot, I don't know, a hundred different times as an analyst and a broadcaster. And I'm just raving about some, oh, QB's decision-making. He hasn't thrown a pick in 116 games. Bang. He's just been so good with the ball. Oh, interception. <laughs> you know, and Benetti or whoever just inevitably looks at me kind of cross-eyed like, yep, okay, oh, sure. And Goldie yesterday was talking about Teo, right, in one of his at-bats. Like, you know, just doing that. Just controlling that zone and swinging at pitches in the zone. And then sure enough, there's a change up like two feet outside and he just swings at it and blow just has right. his little chuckle, you know, and Goldie's like, yeah, yeah, there's my, there's my jinx. But by and large, and he's going to still do that by the yes, way. Yes, he is. But by and large, the swing decisions and the patience and the willingness to just pass on that baton and then hit the cookies because that's what, that's what they weren't doing man right. you weren't mashing the mistakes so now you're or, mashing the mistakes or when they were the weather was just, you know keeping those balls five or six feet from going out which we saw as well so i think the quality of a bat is absolutely sustainable the defense and the athleticism those are opponent neutral that has nothing to do with who you're playing 
So if you have any concerns that they're beating up on bad teams, your defense, your athleticism that is bo- that have both improved over the course of this season, I have zero worries about those continuing because those have nothing to do with who you're playing. Right? That's just something you completely control on your own. And then the other one is they haven't been winning these games against the bad teams because the bad teams have made bad mistakes late. Remember, was it last year, two years ago, that it seemed like every game some terrible team would do something dumb against them? Mm. Like, oh, let's throw the ball away with one out in the ninth and allow you to score two runs. Like, they haven't won that way. They've been winning, I think, fairly standard fashion. So I think all of those things are absolutely sustainable, regardless of whether you're looking at, at who you're playing or not. Some things that might not be sustainable right now, you said the first one, Brock, just scoring as much as they are. Some of these teams really do have bad pitching staffs, and that's not going to continue as you face the Dodgers and the Rays and some of the other teams that you're going to face here down the stretch. The contributions from the bottom of the lineup, that 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 it's hard for, like, I'm really enjoying what you're getting from Rojas, and Marlowe's looked a little bit suspect here. Over Come the, down to earth a little bit. Right, yep. you've seen that. The league spin. start to catch up with him mm-hmm. a little bit. Kind of getting ready for Kelnick to come back here fairly soon. What are you going to get from another rookie in Canzone? Like, the bottom of the lineup contribution, I think, is something that's maybe been above expectation for the last few weeks. A little inflated, yep, and they've been able to kind of feast on some of it, and good for them to gain some of that confidence for Rojas and to feel great about himself, you know, pushing into what's going to be a much more pitching staff-wise, yeah. much more challenging. You know, funny, there. oddly enough, his his is the one that I feel is actually most sustainable because he's done it in the league before. He was having a bad year, yeah. but he's had some pretty good seasons, not pretty good weeks in, in Major League Baseball. I mean, Canzone and, and Cade Marlowe, you're talking about guys who've only been in this league for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little more prone to believing that Rojas and Dylan Moore will be able to sustain it than maybe I am with, with Canzone and, uh, and, and Marlowe. And then the last one, and this is still now my big concern about this team, is just they've really been able to use their low leverage relievers a lot, which has been yep. great. Yep. And I, I, I'm sorry, like I, I have some Matt Brash... Andres Munoz concern and it has nothing to do with what inning they're pitching in. It has everything to do with just they don't the health of their stuff look right. Yeah, the health of their stuff. Right. And then maybe Brash was a little bit banged up and this little stretch, man, of, of having some just terrific rest before that stretch run is probably going to help him a ton. Oh, Mooney, Mooney so. got back to throwing a bunch of fastballs and commanding that fastball with strikeout, 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 you know, and it, and it starts there. And I thought that was one of the great points. Verducci was really good in a short. We're going to tell passing that, too. Like Verducci was was excellent in 10 minutes. And when he was talking about postseason and when you play an elite competition, the ability to throw strikes in the zone, quality, quality swing and miss strikes, quality strikes to get weak contact. That just struck me because, you know, the, we, we know this, like those Astros and those teams in the Dodgers that have been there and done it. You know what? They don't, they don't, they don't swing at bad stuff. Right. You got to find a way once you play the best teams to get them out with good stuff. You think That's about right. Postseason matchups, guys. I always look at, can pitchers, can your pitchers get hitters out in the strike zone? Because you guys know that the, the hitter's concentration really locks into the postseason environment. Nobody gives away the bat. Guys really grind out at bats. Season on the line a lot of times. So you better have stuff that gets people out in the zone because you don't want to be walking people and creating rallies that way. And I think Seattle's stuff plays really well in the zone, just about as well as anybody. I put Tampa Bay up there in the, in the same vein. Actually, a lot of similarities in the two staffs, the way they run them between the Mariners and the, and the Rays. So, 
We'll get to Blue 88 here in a second. There's a lot of gimme completions. You play bad football teams. Here's a completion. There's a completion. Everyone gets a completion. And then you, and then you dial it up and then you get to late in the season and you get to the playoffs and those windows get real small and you've got to be on it. You have got to have tremendous accuracy and anticipation and command, much the same way that, uh, you know, you do as, as a pitching staff and, and I'm right there with you, man. This has been pretty darn incredible. I mean, what an un, I went back last night, by the way. I couldn't sleep. This coaching thing is killing me. Now I'm understanding why coaches just are, are maniacs. I, I just plays running through my head left and right. How do we help our kids? How do we minimize so many deficiencies and weaknesses and all of that? And I don't know, at 130, I started just scrolling through my Twitter. I just kind of wanted to go back the last two or three months and just look at all of the different posts that I've had and, and especially kind of Mariner centric in the trade deadline where I was so miffed and Julio that was so jumpy and, and to just see, gosh, to just see them settle down as Julio said and be the team that we always knew we could be. And it starts with the pitching. It ends with the pitching. And then your stars are just shining, shining bright, man. This is Brock and Sox Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewart breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Sox. All right, three good football questions here as we get ready for cuts to come down at 1 o'clock today. As I said, the Seahawks probably won't make theirs until about 1.30, but generally they have to be in by 1 o'clock and they'll get announced at some point soon after that. Brock, uh, we had a pretty good debate yesterday and, and chatted through with Brady Henderson. Where are you at today on the uh, sort of what I see as one of the camp battles between Levi Bell and Tyreek Smith? Yeah, I'm probably leaning more Tyreek Smith is going to make this roster. That, that he's just got kind of that body type, that sustainable length and strength and athleticism. And, you know, was it was a guy not too dissimilar to Daryl Taylor that had a redshirt year, you know, had an injury that, that kept him out for the majority of it and had to put his work in and, and is at the bottom and, and having to climb and make his mark. The shoulder injury with Derek Hall, we've got to learn about that. Shoulder injury to Mike Morris, we've got to learn about that. So I think just having that sustainability of size and I think Levi is a candidate that you're going to be able to release. And the 31 other teams aren't going to go, oh, yeah, yeah, got to have that guy. I got to have the 5'10", 260-pound power plug. You know, the fullback, special team, or D, and, you know, try hard, hair on fire kind of guy. Because they have another one themselves. Yeah, because there's a lot more of a supply of those tweeners than there are the guys that actually looked apart. And to Tyreek's credit, played his best football as a Seahawk over the course of this preseason. All right, question number two. Our guy, K.J. Wright, who, of course, will be in tomorrow for the 8 o'clock hour, uh, had a conversation with Pete Carroll in which Pete was talking about different types of competitors. But it's the competitor skill. And th- this is not about what kind of player somebody is. It's what is their nature? Mm. What is their makeup? If you're a one or two, you're a survivor. A two is a guy who's just a step ahead of the guy that's just here to surviving it and getting through. But he's got a chance. Three and four on, on that scale, that's that's a pretty good, you're, you're a competitor. For external, e- external factors. For the money, yeah. for the stature, yep. for the status. Yep. I, I want to be a football player. And they're not really centered on what, what drives them. Those are competitors, but yet that's not the level that we, we want guys. We're trying to work him into the fives and sixes. But a five is a guy who's internally motivated and, and he's got his act together pretty much 
run his own world and, and, and control it because he's driven. You get to be a six now. That's 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 it. You're stunned. That's you're the real deal. You're you, you don't care what anybody thinks. You do stuff because you know what you need and you're willing to do what it takes. We don't really need to have to help you very much. We just kind of need to get out of your way, but put you in the position so that you can be successful. The seven. The ultimate true competitor is to us is the guy has everything going. He has everything is in line. Everything is in order. He's got his world. He's maximizing who he is. But he also is compelled. He's got to take people with him. That's the ultimate guy that we're shooting for. And Mm. and that that we don't win and lose based on that guy. That's just you're just lucky when you got him. Mm. There is so much good stuff. And I swear to you, if this was June, we would have a deep dive into the four of us and where the four of us each rank on that competitive scale as a family. We would do family business, but we got a lot of other stuff that we're talking about. But as he was rattling that off, I kept thinking of names of guys I played with. Bobby Ingram was a six. He was just off the charts. Olin Krutz was a six. He was off the charts. Laura Malloy might have been a seven. Laura Malloy might have been one of the greatest competitors that I was ever around. It was only for a year when I was a redshirt at the University of Washington. But just that, and, and then I thought about myself i think i was about a five my first year starting at the u and then i was a four and then i ended like a 2.8 how did that happen eh, adversity. you drop off well just adversity brock just letting the outside noise get to you brock and i got to the league and i was probably like a 2.8 god holmgren broke you no 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 that was before i said in college if i'm being honest kind of started there and and just let the the outside noise affect an impact and it's amazing and remarkable how many people that we talk to and how often we hear that, that, you know, that, that noise and what it can do to you as a competitor versus you being able to shut that down and to continue to push and to persevere. So, yeah, I, I just, man, I love that whole conversation yesterday. All right. Question number three. Since we do cover two teams in town, right, uh, the Seahawks and, of course, whatever's happening in Denver, how did Russell Wilson finish up uh, Camp Sean Payton? Better. Yeah, a little, little, little better, according to everybody around him. And I got to watch a little bit of it, saw it, certainly more comfortable. And this should pique your interest because we've had some hard conversations with Russell. Here's one of those that covers the Broncos. Yeah, here's James Palmer. My understanding is Russell has bought into this wholeheartedly. Everything that Sean Payton and company on that coaching staff has preached to him about what they want to happen. And they designed a lot for him specifically because they want him to play quicker and they want him to play faster. And over the last 12 to 15 practices, I'm told, they believe he's been pretty impressive. They believe that it has been very consistent, and that's what they're looking for. And what you're seeing here is him playing off schedule. You're seeing him using his legs. That is something that has been encouraged by Sean Payton and the entire offensive staff. So you're saying Sean Payton believes it's going well. I'm saying that uh, Russell running as much as he did in preseason game number two was maybe the best indicator if you were a fan of Russell and you want him to resurrect his career and turn it around. And you were on this, I think, as much as anyone, and maybe before many, as far as those rushing yards. If you really want to see the barometer of his career and the measuring stick, go look at how many times he was willing to pull it down and run. And when he was the most one of the most dominant players in this league and an MVP candidate in this league, he was willing to create. He was willing to run. He was willing to live with that moniker and let other people talk about him, right? Oh, he's, he's a dual threat guy. Oh, he's not a rhythm guy. And, and he played through that. And then kind of similarly on that competitor scale, when I thought of Russ, he came in here as a six. That rookie minicamp, he was a six. Mm-hmm. 
And then I think over time, and especially late in his career in Seattle, that outside noise, those outside perceptions, that outside, I got to prove to people, I got to, I got to get rid of this label as a running quarterback. I got to get rid of this thought that I'm a five ten. That it just started to erode some of that competitor scale for even a Russell Wilson. So as he get back to running the football, that will be indicator one of the success he has this season. Great stuff. That is today's Blue 88. Of course, we do that every morning at 745, a chance for Brock to uh, talk a little football with us. Uh, there is uh, still uh, a question of what's going on in the Pac-12 or whatever you're Looks calling Looks like Stanford, it Cal, days. and SMU are going to, and, and maybe it was going to happen last night. Yeah. Uh, there was the shooting on campus at SMU, at and there are people are willing to pony up. That's that's a pretty good one, by the way. Yep. Uh, willing to pony up just millions and millions and take very little in the ACC. Stanford and Cal, likewise, willing to take a very diminished return. And the ACC wanting to do this so that when Clemson and Florida State and those teams leave, their deal with ESPN doesn't get ripped up. They have a deal that basically has a trigger in it that if it gets below a certain number of teams, then ESPN can come in and renegotiate that right. deal. So just to bring it back then to, because I don't care that much about Cal and Stanford, but kind of interesting with State. Wazoo and Oregon State, don't they now, just the two of them, own a network? Like, shouldn't there be some value in the fact that only two teams own a network? Well, remember where that network ranks. I know, I understand that, but but they have some of the infrastructure and everything else for it. Like, but if there's I, no revenue coming in, if you don't have a new media deal coming in to no, run that network, but you have you have an infrastructure in place. I'm not saying they're going to just you know bring in a ton of money themselves, but if they're looking to bring some value maybe to another conference or whatever, is there anything to the infrastructure and everything else they have? No, no. just nothing. They're just screwed. Yeah, it's great. That's litigation, really and there awesome. may be a lot of damages that they can seek to try to make themselves somewhat whole, but it just absolutely stinks. What an ugly mess. All right, um, it is Brock and Salktail Sports on 710. I'm psyched. I'm going to the baseball game tonight, bringing my kids over there. Cecily's excitement level over the Julio Funko Pop night is uh, out of control. She's been looking forward to this for quite some time. It was a great crowd last night, like one of the best Monday crowds they've had in years over there last night. I would expect it to be pretty similar tonight. First 20,000 fans. We'll have a chance to head home with one of the little Julio Funko Pops. You can get your tickets at Mariners.com slash promotions. Up next, Brock, I was a little taken aback by something you guys said Uh-oh. to me yesterday. Oh, I was a little surprised oh, at how I was being characterized. And so I will address it next. Brock and Salt, Sales Sports on 710.